Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. Lisa, who do we have today? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have another friend and colleague of mine. <laughs> Happens to be a very dear friend and colleague of mine. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Hines. And uh, this is one of those podcasts you have to listen to the two of us. But literally, you get a chance to hear from an expert. And if you didn't know, Dr. Hines is actually an expert in so many things, but if you really ever want to take a box and rip it apart and blow it up, I cannot think of a better colleague. She not only thinks outside the box, but really she has a degree in instructional design and is always thinking about how things look. And I believe today, Dr. Hines, you're going to join us as our special guest, talking a little bit about reimagining and thinking about all this world we're living in, in this online conundrum for lack of a better word. Right. Well, Welcome, Lisa, Dr. Hines. <laughs> um, as, as you know, uh, I am a definitely someone who, you know, I, I do try to look at our field and think about, you know, what's, what's missing, if you will, you know, and I, and I, I am constantly looking outside of our field to consider what we need to bring in. And it's interesting. Um, uh, we've both been a part of um, an OSEP project on, on recruiting and retaining um, special education teachers and experts from other fields were brought in as speakers. And it's been really interesting to hear what they think. So in that same vein, when I think about, and from the start, from the minute we shut down, when I think about what delivering our education system large scale now online could or should look like. Um, from the start, I kept saying, well, if it's going to be delivered digitally, we have to think about those industries that create digital media for mass consumption. And I've been shocked. I mean, that, that, that it's taken this long for people to start thinking about how this could or should, you know, feel or look. So I do have the luxury of, you know, both having studied instructional design a bit during my um, doctoral program, but also um, having close connections to the film industry. So I immediately started looking outside of our profession and we interviewed my sister, Cheryl, in a previous episode, um, but looking for keys and tips. So we can't just keep distributing a boring, usual, same old, same old, what's happening in the classroom and expecting kids to be engaged. And I, I think that's, not to say that teachers aren't trying everything, but I think there's some easier, some easier things that we can do and take from literally from Hollywood. Yeah, so what, what would be like my go-to, where do I start? I, I mean, if you, if you were in charge of the world um, for instructional design for our online, like what's the first two things that you're like, I wish every classroom had blank. Well, I wish every virtual classroom had a two camera shoot, to be honest, Lisa. I wish, you know, it's easy enough these days. And this is something I saw really quickly. It was done fantastically by some art teachers I was working with in back in the spring when we were doing a live feed from nine to three every day of um, what we would call edutainment, just arts and other um, mini lessons, 15 minute mini lessons. And the art teachers very quickly developed a format where they just logged in twice, once with the camera 
on their computer and once with their cell phone, you know, propped up at an angle that was kind of looking down as they drew or painted, et cetera. And so they, they quickly realized they could just make noise in one area or the other to get that camera to automatically change. And if you think about how we watch TV, other than shows that are intentionally a single camera show, everything is multi-camera, you know? So we do already kind of have embedded in our mind this idea of seeing, you know, a change, a change, a change, and just that subtle change of camera angle keeps me more attentive. So I think there's some really subtle things that can happen. Now, the other thing that was really, and I just keep mentioning the art teachers because they already have a sensibility about this medium. Um, the other thing that they always did was they had everything set up like a little studio and it was colorful and it was cool and it was artsy. So if you logged in, you knew that was an art teacher and you knew it was going to be something interesting because it was colorful and creative. So if I were a teacher right now trying to teach in this digital medium, I would literally probably set up my own little studio. I would go back and look at educational TV and see how it looks for the age group that I teach. And I would try to replicate some little, take a closet in my room and make it my little studio that felt really comfortable and cozy for all my students at home. Now, I know that a lot of teachers right now are teaching both at school, you know, and um, broadcasting to kids at home in some cases, especially here in Florida. But even then I would have a little studio in my classroom. So, hey, let's, let's head to the studio. So that it felt like something fun and a, and a new, lively element to our to our class so what are some uh, you know you've done so much uh since i know you so well and we keep up with each other pretty regularly <laughs> you've done so much in both brick and mortar online since COVID has hit what are some other things that are out of the box that maybe our listeners don't know about uh that i do uh that you might recommend other schools think about such as your edutainment some of the scheduling things you've done um, just to make the world a little bit simpler for everybody. Well, one of the things that's been really interesting and it like just has my, my brain going a mile a minute right now is um, we, we set up and, and mobilized for, for this school year and just recently launched what we're calling an, an online learning lab so that our undergraduates at UCF can, um, they, they log in, they have guidance from our doctoral scholars that they log in in the morning from nine to 12. And we work with a local school that if the teacher needs one-on-one -on -one help for a student, it doesn't matter if it's a face-to-face -face student or remote student, they pop in to this learning lab to get the help they need when they need it. So a lot of times in, in higher ed, what we do is we, uh, we are, we're very good at scheduling these field experiences, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not always with the mindset of serving the school. That's the mindset of serving our students. So in this case, yeah, it's a real, you know, cognitive dissonance for these undergrads who are like, I don't even know who's showing up. A teacher might send a child with autism and he shows up to do math. Well, guess what? You got to make a fast decision. You got to try to connect to that student remotely. You got to try to engage that student and have, you know, have a positive experience. So it's really valuable on our end for our undergrads, but our goal is to be service oriented. And, you know, we've, we've set it up with just using a scheduler, you know, to know who's going to be in there and making sure somebody's there to open the room. And um, again, that's just done kind of extemporaneously, but it's something that could be replicated almost anywhere with, with a volunteer group, you know? And so this idea now 
you know, it has me thinking of the value of having literally an assistant in your classroom, even if things go back to regular brick and mortar. We could easily have a little ask the, you know, ask your personal assistant station set up that's available all day long for a teacher to say, hey, go ask the assistant to help you with that, you know, while we move on. So I think there's a lot of potential here to, to bring in volunteers, whether it's from universities or elsewhere, to help support students. Yeah, I actually have a district that's partnering um, in working on a plan with assisted living, because again, many of those people are so socially isolated. There's some teachers in assisted living that, you know, uh, are still very willing. They might need a little bit of technology support in some cases or some equipment. But think about a retired teacher that could maybe be in your class. And then I have another school that's talking about doing a project with folks in the nursing homes. Uh, because again, we know there's such social isolation right now. What a great way to give back and connect. Um, and, you know, reading a story, it doesn't matter the age. And then I have one teacher who has her kids remotely reading to a dog. So, you know, again, I, I think this remote piece, even when we go back to brick and mortar, we shouldn't lose the power of what's happening. Well, and then I know you've done a lot of work. My, my last question, and then you're welcome to talk about anything else you'd like. My, my expert colleague um, would be about behavior because you've done a lot of things in this COVID response too with behavior. So what, what are some of your go-tos that people should think about brick and mortar or online with social distancing and behavior? Well, I think I think some of the things that that we've talked about in in other episodes that may or may not have aired. Um, one thing that you mentioned is that idea of making sure that your audience is engaged by periodically asking a question that they respond to in the chat. And I think it's important to note too that if you have students at home who are not um, able to write or you know can't spell or you know et cetera emojis, at, you know, you might make it clear that it's acceptable to put in an emoji because the goal is to make sure the student is actually attending to your talk if they're not on camera. Um, and I will tell you from past research of, of university students in my situation, I used to do that almost about every seven minutes with adults. I would ask an open-ended question and expect a response so that I could look through the chat to see who appeared to be attending while I was talking on any given, in, in a given session. So I do think that that idea of having a system and having almost a, um, in your mind this every X number of minutes, I'm gonna ask students to respond in some way, whether it's to hold up a whiteboard, you know, hold up a piece of paper, cameras on, um, but to make sure they're engaged. But I think that if we don't change our delivery, we still risk losing our students. We can't take, we can't take traditional school and just broadcast it. We, we really can't do that. So I think finding, if I, if I was a teacher right now in public schools, I would look for my like-minded colleagues who wanted to try some things so that we could pilot um, new ways of delivering instruction and, and really tease out what can be done independently and what is, what's my show. And I say show because honestly, I'm working with some teachers who literally have you know, they produce segments as shows and they do it across classes and across, you know, if we have one great performer at the second grade level who wants to distribute a great little science show and become the, you know, mad scientist, why can't everybody watch that? You know, and maybe I'm the one who, who is very good at doing, designing assessments. So why can't we start teaming up and sharing our strengths really differently in this environment? Um, I think, I think in terms of shaping behaviors, one of the other things um, that, that has been talked about 
is again, having, having students set their own behavior goals during a session and scheduling time to have a quick one-on-one conferences with students. I think that there are opportunities now to, to really have a quick one-on-one. You could set a timer on your phone for, for, for two minutes, a two-minute one-on-one discussion with a student, just proactively and conferencing with every kid, you know, every day or every week. I think there are opportunities to make even more specific connections right now with kids. And interestingly, Lisa, and I don't think I've shared this, you know, the school that we're working with, they did just send out um, the school district, sent out a a survey and had over a thousand responses. And it's a very, very small um, charter school district. But the survey asked teachers, I mean, asked parents whether they thought their kids were learning more, the same or less in this new kind of mixed environment. And more, more parents thought kids were learning more than less. Interesting. And I, I think in part, it's because they've really tried to be as personal and take as personal approach as possible in reaching out to students. And it's very hard for teachers. I can't say enough that how hard that is for teachers. But I think we can increase our conferencing. I think we can be more proactive. I think we can use time in our favor And we can also make sure that parents understand the idea of using time in their favor as well and understanding reinforcing kids with something every few minutes. I mentioned one other thing recently in a talk, and that was um, having a go-to as a teacher, uh, kind of a go-to segment. So when we were doing our broadcast this summer, one of the persons at the agency had puppies. So our default was, hey, let's go switch to the puppy cam. You know what kids love to see? Puppies. So if I don't know when we might go to the puppy cam, I might watch more because I'm wanting to see what's going to happen next. So that idea of spontaneous reinforcement keeps somebody watching And I think if we think of ways we can build in some spontaneous reinforcement, I think that's another way to keep things going. Well, thank you, Dr. Hines, for being an amazing expert, as always. And uh, uh, again, I think just really great practical things um, for our listeners to think about. So please keep sending us your questions. Uh, We will continue this season to have guests, as well as you'll get a chance to hear from us as our own experts every once in a while. So thank you again, Dr. Hines, uh, my friend Becky. And please send us any questions you have on our Facebook at Practical Access or send us a tweet at Access Practical. 